Chantel. And I'm Julia. And welcome to Unnecessary Angst, your local tipsy YA book podcast. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. Oh, that was like an out of tune woo. I'm very sorry to <laughs> our listeners' ears. <laughs> you know what? It has been a day. Um, yeah, that, so it feels appropriate. Mediocre <laughs> is about what you're going to be able to expect from me today. Also, tipsy, you will probably definitely be able to expect from me today because I, I was v- up. very generous with my wine <laughs> this evening. It's like, I swear it's like half the bottle in this glass, but it's fine. Oh my god. <laughs> but we'll talk about mine in a second. What are you drinking, Julia? How are you doing this week? I'm doing good. I don't remember what I poured. Hold on, let me see. The bottle is right here. I poured a Coturone <laughs> red wine. Um, just grabbed it. I was like, that sounds good. And I poured it. Is that French? Which... Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, from the Rhone, I think. Cote du Rhone. Sure. No, I don't. No. I don't, I don't know that, that that part of the wine stuff as well, like French wines. Uh, California, I know very well. <laughs> Germany, we also know pretty Germany well. very very well. Yeah. Um, but I'm doing fine. I'm very tired. I am finishing up my summer class. I have to register for my fall class, which I am not looking forward to. I will not bore everyone with it, but I am very stressed about it. I know. Um, paying a whole lot of money for a one course, because I also have to pay an extra $600 or something for my co-op, which is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But you whatever. pay to work. Great. Mm-hmm. That's I'm fun. like, there goes all the money that I've been making. I mean, I've been making way more than $600. I would hope so. It's, it's still a lot of money. It is, um, yeah. So, whatever. Um, but I'm looking forward to my first weekend where I can just relax. I haven't had that since, I think, May. Um, I have had my weekends booked for like two straight months, longer than that, really. Uh, and I'm like feeling it. I'm so worn out. Like I really feel like I I used to do these sorts of things all the time, especially in the summertime. Like just constantly doing stuff on the weekend. But I think the pandemic and just like also maybe like getting older, I get so much more worn out, like faster than I used mm-hmm. to. Um, and I just want to like sleep in and not have a schedule or not have to like do something. Yep. I'm, I'm like ready for it. I feel, I feel dead. <laughs> I really do. It's gonna kind of come across in this podcast, I think. But at least it's not like work related. Like my work is going fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had something more exciting to say, but I really, really don't. That's okay. Yeah. Um, how about you? Where are you drinking? Um, I'm also drinking French. I don't know if it's actually mm-hmm. actually from France, but I'm drinking a Bordeaux. So I'm presuming it's from France. Yes, it's a French wine. (laughs) Well, I don't know if it's a grape or just the region or both of those things. Okay, well, all right. That's what I'm drinking with my very heavy, fun pour in my awesome water wine glass. Um, 
So we're both drinking French regional red wines. Yeah, when's that ever happened? No. Did we coordinate this? <laughs> Unintentionally. I think you know what happened is because the last podcast we recorded, we we were on the same wavelength because we were in person, even though we were drinking True. separate things, but we were on the same wavelength <laughs> and that just translated to, to where we're at now. Very true. Um, wait, is the Cote de Rhone the one you bought when we were in Manhattan? Or what um, did we buy for a red wine? Because we didn't drink that. I Did we buy that one or did we buy... I also have a Sonoma Coast wine. No, I'm not I don't sure. Think, Maybe I we think did we buy bought, the Cote de Rhone. I think we... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look at that. Aw. Full circle. So cute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm... Actually, technically, you bought this wine for me, I think, so thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers to a very bad memory. We had a great time. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that was fun. Um, I'm okay. I'm also extremely exhausted. I've... Last week and this week, not every day, but I've been generally starting my days between, like, 6 and 6.30 um, for working. I went into the office in San Francisco for the first time last week. Um, I'm going to... I want to go into the office tomorrow, but, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to muster up the enthusiasm to do it, but I'm going to try. Because they're Good giving luck. us free lunch, so... Oh, that's an incentive. I'm gonna try. Um, it's just been really busy, I because I'm still in that, like, transitional stage between projects, and so we had, like, three or four meetings on my old project today, and a bunch of meetings on my new project, and then I had to skip some meetings for my new project so I could do work for the old one, and... I mean, some other meetings that, like, I couldn't get out of, and I was literally in meetings from 5.30 a.m. to pretty much 3 p.m. my time, and I had some small breaks in there where I could go downstairs, get coffee, refill my water, grab some Cheetos, and get back to my desk, and that was about the only break that I had, or to do some work that had to be prepared and cleaned up for a meeting later in the day, um, so that was just it's been a long day the rest of the week's not looking too much better but i'm gonna get through it and then this weekend hope hopefully fingers crossed um one of my high school teachers is going to be in napa wine tasting with her husband so i need to check in with her but i think i might go up and stay at their condo that they're renting and go wine tasting with them on saturday oh that would be cute oh yeah little weird to like third wheel my teacher and her husband <laughs> but you know what <laughs> whatever i want wine it's i don't so care cute, though yeah and it's i feel like that's cute to like keep in touch you know mm-hmm. good good friendly activity get a couple drinks in you and it won't be awkward <laughs> exactly it's all fine <laughs> um but yeah that's that's kind of where where i'm at though i will say i don't think that my like, level of exhaustion and also my level of angriness at all of the meetings that I had today that just felt like a waste of time are nearly as angsty and as bad as August was in this chapter. <laughs> nice transition once again. 
I was wondering when it was going to come. Uh, I tried to think about it for a second, you know. I got to work myself yeah. up to it. We have some interesting chapters this week. I actually think there's quite a bit to dissect. I know we had a really light week last week, but it's... This one, these chapters have some meat to them in terms of, like, plot and what what happens. We get a lot of good world building. There's a lot of information. (laughs) So much information. Um, So, for reference, we're talking about chapters 11 through 13 of The Savage Song by Victoria Schwab. Should have picked all that up from the podcast title, but just in case. Um, (laughs) And it's, yeah, we, we get a lot of world building information and just, like, understanding a little bit more the the teens thoughts on things which has been um really interesting and i'm sure we're gonna have a lot to talk about it so julia do you want to kick us off with the summaries yes so chapter 11 we join kate who is headed down into the basement of parker hall which strips away the veneer and is where callum parker holds court with his monsters quite literally (laughs) Kate is watching from the elevators, noting all the lights are centered in the middle of the room, which leads the monsters to congregate in the corners and sides. She describes the corsi, their bodies are like shadows and only look humanoid when it is too late, though they can be killed by a direct blast of sunlight to the head. They also have a hive mind, which is how Harker rules them. He managed to bend the hive to his will. She goes on to describe the Malkai and the human thugs that are down there, noting no Sunai, the, do- the darkest monster to ex- <laughs> I can't even talk today, the darkest monster to exist, have aligned with Harker as they are all aligned with Flynn, though she- this doesn't matter to her because her father clearly has the numbers on his side. She describes how cold and intimidating her father looks, then attention shifts to another man on the platform, begging for his life because he owes money. Harker tells him it's too late, takes his medallion, and tells the monsters to give him a five-minute head start to run. He moves on to the next item, banging his stick, and a Malkai is brought in front of him. The Malkai, who was under his rule, drained the family dry, unwarranted, and is now going to be killed for it because he disrupted Harker's ecosystem. The Malkai is trying to start a Malkai revolution, and before her father can kill it, Kate steps forward and offers to do it, which briefly surprises Harker. There's no internal power struggle between their eyes, but he lets her and she mimics his calm and cold attitude. She picks up a crowbar and a knife, noting all her previous fighting and martial arts experience, which she may need with a monster as fast as a Malkai, even if it is in chains. She quickly dispatches of it and her father's eyes flicker with respect when she said she needed that kill. He asks if she wants another one and she says she has homework to do, like the true teenager she is. She walks away, sees herself covered in black blood in the elevator, gets into her room, turns the stereo up, and then collapses. Back to August in chapter 12, he tells us about the first man he killed, even though it was an accident. He had just been created, knew he wasn't going to be rejoined with his family with the other students, so he slipped away and found a man with a tailing shadow playing a violin that had been thrown out. The man admits he did a bad thing, and August picks up the violin and unconsciously took the next steps to kill him, where Leo found him, mouth open, eyes black, next to the corpse. We flash back to the present, where August is in the man's apartment, and he starts playing his violin. The man stops trying to escape and heads towards August, stopping in front of him. August stops playing, and the man starts confessing his sins, while his soul is clearly visible to August, 
stained red from his sins. The guy has developed a taste for murder and feels no remorse. August steps forward, puts his hand on his chest, and the man's soul flows into August as his source of food until the body shell, body's shell crumples to the floor. For a moment, August feels real and whole, but then sees the body and remembers what he is. As he is getting ready to leave, he sees the guy's cat, and the cat, much to August's surprise, nuzzles his leg and wants to be taken with him, which August eventually indulges. The other guys comment on it, but August says he couldn't leave the cat alone. They say they need to get him back home immediately because there is some, some sort of event happening in the scene, and when they get back to the compound, Flynn is ending a walkie-talkie chat with Leo and questions August on the cat. Ilsa comes into, into the room and wordlessly volunteers to take care of the cat. She names it Allegro and says they will take care of each other and tells August that cats can tell the difference between good and bad just like they can. Leo comes back with a streak of someone else's blood and his guitar on his back, and Allegro does not seem to like him, which confirms for August that he wants to keep the cat. <laughs> End of chapter 12. God, this whole scene with the cat is just so good. We'll talk I about it. I loved it. it. This was such good com- comedic relief, but yeah. I figured you were going to just, like, really enjoy this whole I section. loved it. <laughs> Okay, so chapter 13 um, is really short, and it is also the end of verse 1, so we're kind of coming to an ending of the of this first movement, as one might say, of the book, given we talk about everything in musical terms with, with this story. So Kate is sitting in her room, still shaking a little bit while she lights and smokes a cigarette. She's trying to just, like, embody the emptiness and stillness of her room, but ends up reminiscing on her mother when she sees a picture of the three of them, so her, her mom, and her dad, uh, before the phenomenon occurred, so when she was really little. They were happy, and then all of the fighting started after the phenomenon, and her and her mom left uh, V-City. When they finally came back, her mother really couldn't adjust from Kate's perspective and made her leave again in the middle of the night when she then promptly ran the car into a cement railing and died. And that's where Kate got her injuries from. Uh, that is when her father sent her away to all the different boarding schools, like he couldn't bear to look at her. And she realized that she needed to suppress the parts of her that were like her mother and accentuate the parts of her that were like her father so that she could show her father she was more like him, so he would want to keep her, which was just goddamn heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. To read about. But we'll get there. Chapter 11, Julia. What are your general commentary thoughts? I had to reread chapter 11, I think, like, five times because I was first reading it on the train back Metro North train back from New York the other day and I was like only half alert and usually that's fine like I can read when I'm falling asleep but there was so much information being thrown at me in this chapter and I was like oh my god I could not pick up like even rereading this back I was like I don't remember this (laughs) like small things um, I mean, I just, I'm glad that we're, we really, I feel like filled in a lot of my questions or a lot of the, the blanks. About the monsters? Um, yeah, the monsters and like, just Harker in general. I feel like mm-hmm. this was the first time we really got to see him working, In his element. Like, in his element, yeah. And 
he is scary. Like, I don't... If we saw very little of him, and yet I, like, really don't blame Kate for basically, like, being scared of him without admitting that she's scared of him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, yeah, the more but, we read, the more parallels you see to Anderson, huh? Yeah, he <sighs> is like Anderson. He really is. Not to get into pop culture already, but... Um, I didn't make a pop culture reference for Shatter Me. It's just, like, a general... Like he is, so he's it's these like scary father figure types with no empathy and I quit on this for blood. Quit on it. Like no more. How much? How much money did this guy owe this Peter dude who was getting like eaten? Why? Honestly, probably like a thousand bucks. And like, why? This is Harker so cruel that he was like, "You're gonna go play fetch with your food now," like. Oh my god. Well, that was just... You're not wrong, but to be fair, if he... And we kind of get the glimpse of this with, like, the one Malachi that tries to rebel a little bit, um, but if he doesn't keep the piece, this very delicate piece that he has crafted, um, it's gonna completely throw off his entire system, right? Like, it's, it's a very delicate ecosystem that he's built, and any small thing can completely upend the entire system, so he has to keep it very controlled. And for the monsters, they probably get off on hunting. Hunting, yeah. Right? Like, just getting to eat some food is not going to be fulfilling for them, but if they get to hunt this guy... They might be more into letting Harker continue to do these things because then they're feeling justified and satisfied. It's really like a zoo, like giving lions or tigers their yeah. live prey so they can feel like they're still hunting. Exactly. Like, that is just scary. And I feel like so it's going to be like SeaWorld where it's going to backfire. <laughs> like the trainer is not going to too well here. They will bite the hand that feeds them at some point. They will. Um, yeah, I just like, I'm glad that we got to understand more though about how they, like, the descriptions, she's so good at descriptions. Like, I can't, I was trying to kind of, whenever I read something, right, I feel like a lot of the times, not like pop culture but like a lot of the times I will like connect it to something else I've read. Or like, especially like films or tv shows like to get imagery in my mind it's just easier to make that relation to something right. else i've seen yeah and there were things that i just like couldn't like i'm still having trouble almost like picturing these monsters because she was like they look more human right before they kill or something like that so like what do they look like before that i still it, it's hard um Shadows. The corsi just look like shadows. Yeah. You're, you're not going to see them. When they take a form, that's when you should be scared. <laughs> yeah. It's just hard. I guess, like, whenever someone's like, oh, it, they look like a shadow. Like, what? Like, shadows look like nothing. They look like exactly shadows. <laughs> well, I think it's that's... so hard. <laughs> that's the point, right? Like, you can't quite, mm-hmm. other than maybe some eyes... You can't quite tell what or where they are, and that's what makes them so challenging to kill, is because it's really hard to identify what and where their head is when they're just a blob of black in the night. 
Yeah. Like, how do you identify the specific correct blob of black in the nighttime yes, from exactly. the rest of the blob of black in the nighttime? But that's why they're scary. Um, though she does make her monsters, like, extremely difficult to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting ways, for sure. Mm-hmm. Direct blast of sunlight to the head. Um, so... I feel like that whole Malkai revolution thing that's talked about mm-hmm. and how angry that Malkai seemed and like there were a few murmurs in the crowd of people who might be agreeing with the Malkai. I feel like that's going to backfire. Like I feel like this is going to come up again. Like I don't think she would, I mean maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like she's not just putting it there to put it there. Like it sounds like a few Malkai are disgruntled and as we said, biting the hand that feeds them, I feel like that's really going to come come up again i don't know got it so you you think that this this right now is not the end of the supposed malkai revolution that it will come back okay yeah i mean i feel like they have to like what i what are kate and august going to be doing for the rest of the book (laughs) that's my question that's what i'm trying to figure out they could just be spending the book trying to figure out each other's secrets I mean, maybe, but I that feel like kind of boring. that seems very boring, and that's not why the, the series is so popular. <laughs> there has to be more going on here. So I feel like that's, I'm like really trying to figure out where the, the book is going, and I feel like that is the hint to me that mm-hmm. is where it's going. It's going to be some sort of, maybe not a revolution, but some sort of uprising or just general rebellious conflict there's going to be some conflict associated with the monsters against Parker yeah um I think that that's a very fair prediction I will not say whether it comes true one way or the other but I think based on the information you have that's a fair prediction I do echo your point that like considering we are what probably a third maybe a little bit under a third through the book a fourth through the book now Mm -hmm. And we still have no idea where the plot of this story yeah, is going. Yeah, that's why I'm, like, trying to... It, this it, it, It's good, right? But I'm also like, okay, let's, let's start going somewhere here. Well, it's interesting because it's going places. We just don't yeah. know what the end goal is yet. And it yeah. keeps you hooked, which is what I really like about this book. Because a lot of times you can have a sense of, like, what the end goal is. Like, uh, did you finish mm-hmm. One Last Stop? No, I have not. Okay. Did you start it? Yes, I did. Okay, great. So you'll at least know that within, like, 30 pages of starting that book, you know that the end goal is August and Jane figuring out a way to be together in life. Yeah. It takes so long to get to the point in the book where they actually start planning how they could be together in real life. And so the pacing of the book is completely off because of that. Still love the book, Mm -hmm. but, like, it, it causes problems. Whereas this, because we have no idea where we're going, the pacing doesn't feel that off because we're actually, like, along for the journey. We don't know where the end destination is, and so you can actually enjoy the journey a little bit more. Um, in my mind, at least. You, you don't have to mm-hmm. agree with that, but... <laughs> no, I like that she doesn't hit us... Like, this is a lot of information that she's giving us. If she had hit us with all of the information from these past few chapters... It would have been a lot to just like be like, okay, here you go. Here's everything you need to know. Good luck. Here's the story. Like, <laughs> oh my god. Right. It's not just like the information about the monsters and 
um, how like August functions, but it's also like the character development is really important to like mm-hmm. understand why Kate is the way she is or why August is the way he is. Right. Um, and the, also, like, the families that surround them are really, really important, clearly. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that she doesn't rush that. I agree. I think she's doing a really good job of, like, built, like drawing out the world building and, like, when you get the information that you need mm-hmm. associated with different plot points that are happening. Like, we yeah. don't need to know how the Sunai feed until the Sunai feed. Yeah. So, like, great that we waited till chapter yeah. 12 to get that information. And it kept you interested in, like, what was going on with August. Because you're like, how does he eat? <laughs> I was very interested. I feel like that's, like, the thing for me is why I keep bringing it up every single episode. Is like, it's so hard to find a YA book, especially, that paces well. Mm-hmm. Um, and keeps you hooked at the same right. time. Like, with the my whole Six of Crows problem was, like, it was very slow at the beginning. <laughs> And then you get the action, but like I didn't get there right away. <laughs> so she's she's just like I, I admire her writing very much. <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't think I've I have stuff to say about Kate's kind of breakdown at the end, but it connects to chapter twelve, so I will like Chapter you twelve or chapter thirteen? Chapter twelve. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Um okay, so similar to what you were saying, I really loved especially on reread I think the prose surrounding Kate's descent the description of the monsters um I just think it's so well done like Victoria Schwab the way that she writes is so lyrical and musical already so like writing a book that's Mm -hmm. all about music fits really well with her natural writing style uh but I I feel like a lot of times in this book we've been getting a lot of heavy-handed things that are being handed to us and it finally felt like in these chapters we were starting to return to the the bits and pieces of Victoria Schwab's prose that I love right that lyrical mm-hmm. sense of describing what's going on without really describing what's going on and you kind of have to figure it out a little bit for yourself and imagine it yourself um which normally I struggle with doing but with her books I can actually like picture some of those scenes little fuzzy but like I can get there um where I I struggle to do that with other books and I just love the way that she writes too um the court super disturbing but very compelling I think to read about obviously the whole setup is terrifying Harker's terrifying but I do think it's really interesting following along with Kate's interpretation of everything um yeah of the court and her veneration of her father throughout that entire mm-hmm. process, even though it is not warranted. No. Just it's saying. Not. Um, the, just, I get, I, I understand, I understand that later on, like, she's clearly struggling with the literal murder that she commits, but the girl has no chill. She's like, yeah. I'll murder this thing. Um, and then she wants her father to be proud of her for offering to be a murderer. Like, that's a concerning family dynamic, which we've talked about before, but just reiteration, don't, you don't want your parents to be proud of you for committing crimes. Like, that's not a, you don't have a healthy relationship with your parents if that's where you're trying to find pride points. Um, and then her like 
response at the end when he's like, do you, do you want me to get you another one to kill? And she's like, nah, I got homework. What? Girl's wild. She's wild. I get she's putting on a front. I get that she's putting on a front. But to even be able to put on that front at 17, just like, I'm so concerned about her mental state. It hurts my soul how concerned I am about her mental state. I wanted to get your thoughts um, on Harker's, like, gesture before she, like, picks her weapon, um, where he, like, squeezes her on the shoulder, and she's like, it wasn't a gesture of warmth, it was a gesture of warning. Wanted to get your thoughts on what that squeeze of warning was meant to convey. Was he warning her not to mess up, or was he warning her to be safe? Oh, not not mess up, 100%. Like, I feel like, I I don't know. I just feel like he is the type of father who's more concerned about his control over these monsters than worrying about the safety. It sounds terrible. But then worrying about the safety of his daughter in that moment. Like, maybe deep down inside he does care and he is worried. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, he he's worried about this small guy who just was like i'm gonna start a revolution blah 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 i hate you like why are you doing this like watch out for us etc etc like he i think play it off like he doesn't care but like that is probably a worrying kind of thing the situation and now here's his daughter who he clearly does not completely trust who wants to kill this small guy who is acting out i don't know i feel like it was a warning of like don't mess up or you're gonna regret this later on and i'm never gonna let you down here again but why you think it's him worried no i don't necessarily think that it's him worried and i to be completely honest i don't remember the intricacies of like his relationship with his wife at all from the last time i read this book like it was just not did not stick in my brain that I remember, and I, so this may be a subconscious thing, it kind of ties more into chapter 13, but I'm almost wondering if, like, the reason he's giving her this warning of not necessarily, like, don't mess up, but also, like, there's, there's a part of him that doesn't want her descending in to his world and I think it might be because he like sees he still sees that aspect Mm -hmm. of his wife Mm -hmm. in her and like it can be really hard when you have a when you're a widow right you have a dead spouse to like disassociate and like not see the same descent into madness potentially that his wife might have had and we don't have any of those pertinent details I'm just wondering if there's any sort of in terms of like how he cares about Kate if that's manifesting in really weird ways because of some fucked up relationship he has with how he thinks about his wife's death I mean that could very well be it is like he is worried that if she gets too into that world she's gonna run away just like her mother did she'll snap you really won't have anyone yeah um and that's why he was sending her away to schools and stuff and that would make perfect sense Um, yeah he could be walking that line of like both of being like wanting her to live up to his reputation and also not wanting her to live up to that reputation yeah 
It could um, be a complete contradiction, and he doesn't really understand that contradiction that's playing out in his brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling he's still not a great father, so he Oh, 100, <laughs> might be <laughs> 100% agree. I just... And again, this may be subconscious from last time I read the book, but I just feel like there's something more. Like, it's <laughs> not as... And not to pop culture again, but it's not as one-dimensional as, like, how shitty of a father Anderson was. Like, I feel like there's a little bit more to Harker's character that we just don't quite have all the information we need yet. Well, we'll find out. We mm-hmm. shall. Um, that's That's all I had for chapter... 11. Do you want to go over what you have for chapter 12? Yes. Um, I'm, I, for some reason, when we ended chapter, what was it, 10 or 9, where he is going into the apartment, for some reason I thought I was just going to cut off there. Like, I didn't think that we were going to continue that. Um, and I'm glad that she did. Um, I really thought it was like a fade to black situation where like, it's like something happens and we'll find out later. Like, I was just kind of bracing for that. But no, we get the whole story of what happens. Uh kind of sad as a violin past violin player and violin lover that this is a instrument that is being used basically to kill someone (laughs) i mean to help kill someone not do the killing itself uh but it's very poetic at the same time like i am the type of person who will put on a violin piece like i i know exactly which piece i would put on as like a vivaldi piece to help myself calm down in the same way that August is like playing it to lure people in and mm-hmm. to make them feel like very at ease and like want to be near him. Um, yeah. So I'm conflicted. Like it's very cool, but also kind of sad at the same time. I would love to know what piece he was playing. I think it'd be so cool to have like a playlist for this book. I think that'd be like awesome. I would 100% listen to it while I was reading, but I, that's me. I love my playlist, right? <laughs> um, I So what I was going to say before with the last chapter is the end, this ending, like after August has killed someone and he's like looking, there's that moment where he feels good and then he's looking down and he's kind of like taking it in. He feels like, oh my God, wait, what did I just do? Mm-hmm. And he does not feel good at all. Similar, I really love that she always does this like parallel kind of thing. Very similar to what we had in chapter 11 with Kate doing the Malkai kill, brushing it off and feeling like, okay, like I needed that. Like I needed that rush of adrenaline. And then going into her room and like kind of having it hit her breaking and just down. completely breaking down. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting, I thought, was the cat kind of helps to save August. Like, first of all, yeah, cats always do that. Cats are there to be our saviors. I'm a cat lover, so <laughs> I appreciated that. But um, it, I thought the timing was interesting that he, August is about to kind of like have his own falling apart. Probably not as badly, I think, Kate's. Because I think Kate is like, it's not just the kill, it's the weight of a lot of things on her shoulder right now. And for Mm -hmm. August, it was like, he needed to eat and he's sad about it, but like he, it was a part of him that he, like Kate was voluntary. This is something he had to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not the first time he's done it. Like he's killed before that. I think that was Kate's first kill. Oh, see, so, okay. Interesting. 
So she really got hit with it, and he's just remembering what he's done in the past. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't even have time to, like, really break down. It's that cat. I, the goddamn cat. I love the cat. Allegro. I really appreciated the entrance of the cat. I was a bit worried at first, and I, I will get into pop culture about why I was a bit worried. Um, but I feel like it's a good cat. I want to know if the cat plays a bigger role in the rest of the book. I really hope so, because <laughs> it's really cute. Um, and I appreciate it. It really was like a little bit of comedic relief without being really true comedy. Um, yeah. I want to know what's going on in the scene at the end when um, August gets home and uh, it sounds like something happened. I think he was saying like two people died or whatever. Is it the revolution that they were talking about in chapter 11? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not, because if they're revolting against Harker, why would they be doing it on the South Side? True. Well, maybe they're trying to get into the South Side now. They've given up on Flynn. Well, there's still monsters on the South Side. It's not like there's no monsters. It's just that yeah. the FTF keeps the populations in check. Like, they'll kill them. Um, but it's not unlikely that the monsters cross over to the South Side, go on a little bit of a hunting spree two people die, and the FTF then has to start intervening and do, like, a battle. Mm. I don't know why I just said that so strangely. A battle. A battle. <laughs> a battle. <laughs> um, okay, interesting. Uh, I think the only other thing is I still want to know what defines sins. Like, what makes the soul red? What, what, what are the sins? What are they based off of, you know? I know. Um, I know you kind of want that, like, bottom line. Like, I'm what is the least offensible thing that I can do? <laughs> I just and then know it because, needs like, to be considered also, a sin. Like, does, is context taken into it? Like, it's the whole idea of, like, you have two people, you can only save one, so technically you're killing one person. Does that count as a sin? Because you didn't try to kill both, or try try to save both people, or whatever. <laughs> well, if you try to kill both, yes, that would be a sin. <laughs> I meant save. <laughs> I mean, so, I'm, I'm not saying context doesn't get included, but, like, I also don't know that the deep, like, moral and philosophical debate you want to have around sins is something that's going to be captured in this YA book, Julia. Um, <laughs> I want to know. Like, clearly, when they're, I'm gonna like... I'm going to write to her, like, please give me a dictionary definition. Because <laughs> clearly, when they're, like, giving August the name, they're giving August the name of someone who is for sure, by every definition of the word, a sinner. Yeah. Right? He kills without remorse. He has developed a taste for blood. And August then, like, is easily, then supposed to be able to execute justice what about the peter guy in chapter 11 like do you think that he would would have had like he probably wouldn't have been given to august um harker is just like very mean but um why did he had stolen we don't money, know a sin. we don't know if peter had a sin i just don't think he could make his monthly payment like you have to pay for harker's protection in north city not being able to pay for if Victoria Schwab is saying being poor is a sin, we're going to have a much bigger problem with this series. I don't think that's the case. But if he stole money to try to 
do like to keep his status in North City, yeah, that would probably be a sin because then he's making it so potentially someone else cannot afford their payments and they get murdered. Hmm. Right? But that's I, I don't necessarily know that's the case. He didn't say he stole any money, he just couldn't make his payment. Being poor is not a crime. <laughs> I know. If being poor is a crime, we're in this book, we're going to have a much bigger problem, and I clearly missed that on my first read. Oh, I just want to know if we'll get more information or other examples. I'm sure we'll get other examples of, like, people saying, but... August is going to have to eat more than once in this book. Like, do these people get a chance to confess their sins? I don't... Yeah. That's what he does, right? That's what his presence does. Everyone confesses and tells the truth in his presence. But then are they wiped of their sins? Cleaned of them? Um, no, because he's not God. <laughs> See, like, is there a God that they can confess their sins to, or are they stuck with their sins? They have no chance of, um... So I, mean, I think the question is not... Is I not think gonna... the question is not necessarily around the confession of the sins i think it's the remorse of the sins right uh, and again not i really I need to stop make it redder. making pop culture references but when we think about like voldemort right in harry potter and they mm-hmm. ask him they're like do you feel remorse can you possibly feel remorse because potentially if he felt remorse is the another way that horcruxes could have been destroyed and his soul could have been brought back together but that's such a painful process that no dark wizard had ever attempted it because they a didn't feel remorse for the kills that they did to get their horcruxes created and b um they didn't want to go through that pain So they never Mm. felt that remorse. So I would say it's probably more akin to that, that, like, when they're executing their justice, when they're finding the names of who the Sunni need to go after, it's... They're looking for psychopaths. They're looking for people that are committing sins without remorse. Now, granted, if they're killing them now, that means that that person doesn't have a chance in 20 years to feel remorseful about their sins. But also, like... You can kill one person and immediately realize, shit, that was the wrong thing to do. I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. And make your amends. And that's very different from someone who kills someone and then is like, mm, I'm going to kill this other person. Ooh, this is fun. <laughs> and then kills a third. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if we get a little bit more breakdown of that. But I would not get your hopes up. For that in a YA book because that's a very like broad (laughs) moral and philosophical discussion that we can continue to have but I don't necessarily think it'll be as laid out on the pages of the book as you might want damn it after I just praised her to the heavens well it's still really good for a YA book it really is it's a YA fan urban fantasy it is not meant to be a philosophy text and case study. Yeah. What What were your thoughts on chapter twelve? Um, I just really liked August's description of the memory of his first kill. I thought it was really hauntingly beautiful. Um, specifically the part where it said he didn't remember what happened next, or rather he did, but it was a set of photos, not a film. Stills without the space in between. And, like, everything that came right after that. 
I just thought, oh, the way that that was written was so pretty, and it gave you, generally speaking, the information that we needed to kind of orient us before we actually saw him make a kill later in the chapter um, without it being explicitly described up front and ruining almost that surprise of what that was going to look like. So I liked that it kind of oriented us and recentered us with that memory of his first kill before we are back in present day. I, I just appreciate the way that she did that. Um, I felt so bad for August that like he finally feels calm and complete and then immediately has an existential crisis about it. Like his humanity is real even if he isn't human and it pains that he doesn't see that. Um, and I, I don't know. It, we all feel better and more complete after a good meal. That's human. People feel human after doing things that others may see as monstrous, right? Like, some people feel really good after having sex with a lot of random people. Like, that makes them feel alive. That makes them feel human. Other people would judge and, and condemn that. Um, so I don't see why this thing that like helps him feel calm and complete can't also be his connection to some sort of a humanity because it's not as if humanity is some pure thing that needs saving like it's raw it's imperfect already and he should still be able to feel personhood even if it's not the same personhood that kate might feel Hmm. as an example I don't know. That's yeah. my personal view. Like, it's how he has to eat. He doesn't have a choice. Yeah. So, that doesn't mean he can't be a person. Uh, but I do understand sort of the, like, imposter syndrome that he's feeling as well. Like, he's not sure if what he's feeling, the humanity that he thinks is feeling, is a remnant of the soul that he just ate, or if it's actually something that is intrinsically him. And that's just so sad, and I feel like that's a hard dichotomy to overcome because you're never going to really know, probably. Because there's nothing else that's going to make him feel that calm and complete, so he may always just think it's a remnant of whatever soul he just ate, which is sad. Um, Love that he's a cat lover. The whole family interaction is just so wholesome. Like, bringing the cat back in his jacket. Ilsa immediately going to the cat and being like, yes, mine. I'm taking care of this. And the cat's like, cool, yeah, all these monsters, they're my new best friends. I'm good. This is great. Except for Leo. Allegro is such a pleasure because Allegro's repulsion of Leo is hilarious. Uh, it's also interesting, I think, that they named the cat Allegro. Like, obviously, ties into the musicality of the whole story and everything that's related to them. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder if it's foreshadowing that the plot, now that we have this cat, is either going to pick up in pace a little bit, because Allegro means, like, a brisk pace, um, or mm-hmm. if it's to indicate that we're already moving at a fast pace and that the cat is just going to add to the chaos. <laughs> Of the fast pace that we're going at. I mean, my guess would be that it's going to pick up in pace because we are ending the, what is it, the first um, verse. So This is true. 
This is true. Very good foreshadowing. Yep. Um, that's all I have for, for chapter 12. What do you have for chapter 13? This was depressing. I'm sorry, but, like, it was such a short chapter, and I was like, oh, my God. It's a short chapter, but it a got, gut punch. It got punched. Like, I, we really got the full story of her mother, which I appreciate. Interesting that it's ending the ver- first verse. Like, I feel like maybe this is the part where we stop learning as much about their backstories and start looking forward mm-hmm. into the the plot of the book mm-hmm. um just because i feel like she really crammed this last piece in for us for a reason to be like this is why kate is this way yes though this is not the last time we hear about her mother's story oh good there's more to it i'm so excited <laughs> this was just like I, I guess there is the question, like, why did she basically try to commit suicide with her daughter in the car? Mm-hmm. What was the trigger exactly? Why did she come back? Why did she leave again? Um, there are a lot of questions still there, but at least now we know kind of, like, why Kate is the way she is and probably, as we were talking about, maybe why Harker is the way that he is. Yeah. Um I mean, I just don't have a lot to say. Just it's just really it's just sad. sad. It's so sad. Like the parental neglect from Harker, yeah, is really reminiscent of it, something I think a lot of kids unfortunately feel, and it, it's really mm-hmm. depressing. Um, I wish it was different. It's not, and I, I also to that end, I really wish Kate didn't feel the need to suppress whole parts of her personality. Like she's completely suppressing everything that made her like her mom, and I. Th- her interpretation of it right is that she thinks her dad wants her to be more like him but i again i was saying this in chapter 11 i think part of it is he can't stand the idea of being around a mini me of his wife and so when she was acting like her mom and showing softness and I don't want to use the word weakness because I don't think that's correct, but, like, that softness, that openness, that fear, um, it reminded him too much of his wife that had just died, and so it was easier to just ship her away, and the more she begged and pleaded and, like, showed him love and care, the more he felt repulsed by that because he didn't want those reminders of his wife who he no longer had a hold of. It was easier for him to just, like, Mm -hmm. shut off emotionally and, like, completely disconnect from anything that wasn't like him um which again is parental neglect like without a doubt and it's it's so so sad but it'll be interesting to see if they give us more information I don't remember explicitly like I know we get more information about Alice generally which will be good because everything that we're getting from Kate her perspective is very skewed in this chapter and like we're only getting things from 12-year-old Kate's perspective about her mother's potential attempted suicide that gives us no actual context for what her mother was feeling, why her mother was feeling those things, exactly to your point, what the trigger may have been, and also how sane or not sane she might have been in the given moment. So Kate sees it as her mother being weak and breaking um, by being home, but that may not at all be the scenario that's at play that's just Kate's interpretation of it as a scared 12 year old um 
So it'll be interesting to see like what Harker and Alice's relationship was like, what drove that wedge between them that caused them to live apart for six years before she came back and went supposedly crazy, um, or if that wedge was always there, if he purely sent them away for safety originally. Um, yeah, I don't know. So that's why I'm saying, like, there's definitely more to come because we don't have all the full context for the story. It's just Kate's perspective as a child and a hurt and tormented and traumatized child which is not as we know the most accurate explanation of, of anything in a lot of cases um yeah that's that's all i have yep another tormented ya kid Ugh. basically an orphan yeah because we don't have enough of those. <laughs> no, we don't. Clearly. Oh, um, God. Okay. Pop culture. Pop culture. <laughs> I'm going to go first because I only have a couple for Chapter 11 and Chapter 12, actually. I added one for Chapter 11 while we were oh, talking. God. Oh, my God. The first one. Okay. So it's kind of one and a half. Well, not really. I like, okay, so my thought process during this, so I was trying to like take notes while I was reading the first time. And as I said, I had to go through and reread paragraphs multiple times because I was like, oh my God, like, what am I missing here? And I was half asleep. It was a lot to take in. My initial thought when she was describing the whole like kind of basement scenario situation was like, oh, this seems so spy kids. Like, beautiful outside and then inside there's this like secret lair basically right like very very spy kids clear that is not what it is <laughs> like the spy kids would not have this dungeon um so pivoted from that very fast to more of a like fight club scenario Ooh. i've never seen fight club but that is like the image that came into my mind was like there's like a ring in the center of this basement Mm -hmm. surrounded by these like crazy like heated i mean not people but monsters mm -hmm. and i was honestly kind of like waiting for them i hadn't read it from here i was waiting for them to start boxing <laughs> which they kind of do in a way it's just not a very fair box <laughs> um it's much more so, games yeah. of throny with like ned stark yeah. decapitating people out in the woods yeah mm-hmm um and then my other one was uh, the City of Bones, Mortal Instruments. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember why I made this connection. Uh, oh, it was the way that um, I think the monsters were described as being kind of his, like, collection, Harker's collection of monsters. And it's the same thing in the Mortal Instruments. They have... Um, that museum of monsters and at some point I think it's Isabella who's taking Simon al along through it and is like like welcome to the collection actually I think in the book it might be Jace who's talking about it but it's been a long time I have no idea um, what you're talking and, about is this in the okay, city well, of bones or is this just in the book city of bones the book city of bones okay but not in the city of bones in in the church that they live in they have a collection of monsters in the Shadowhunter Church? Okay, first of all, it's not Shadowhunters. That's the TV show, which I don't talk about. 
They're not called shadow hunters. What are they, they called? They are called shadow hunters, but don't confuse it with the TV show because I've never seen the TV show. So are, no, I'm not. I'm the the church that is infiltrated by the shadow hunters. Yes, yes. We're the okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, the institute, right? Yes, the institute. They have mm-hmm. a museum. They have a collection of like the monsters, and either Jace in the book or definitely Isabella in the movie not the tv show in the movie version is saying how like all the monsters actually it could be um the dude the the old guy what's his name i'm blanking on his name right now i think it might have been him actually in the book i take that back anyway whatever one of them is saying like (laughs) all the monsters that you dreamt about had nightmares about they're real here they are (laughs) and they're like showing this like museum of artifacts essentially of like all of these monsters mm. that it just reminded me of that for some reason like harker's collection of monsters fair yeah in this like beautiful you know venue and then it's like all these like scary creatures yeah fair. so that those were my two they didn't put that in the tv show so that's why i don't remember it <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay i read city of bones i swear (laughs) i read that book but just like five years ago and i ran through it so quickly i remember nothing where i've watched a tv show season one like three times it's been a long time since i read the book i really don't remember it very well and it's 2022 is our cassie claire year julia yeah 2021 was supposed to be our tomorrow pierce year and we failed miserably (laughs) It's been a stressful year, okay? It has. I know. I have so many other books to read. Um, okay, so that was, that was it for chapter 11? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the very first part of the book, when she's talking about, like, going from the luxury down to the basement and how it's, like, peeling back the layers of this, like, waxy apple and that it's, like, really rotten at the core, but it has this veneer of, like, looking pretty on the outside... Anytime someone mentions, like, peeling back layers, I just think of Shrek and the onions. Onions have layers. Shrek since 2002. Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Okay. And they also both smell bad and make you cry. Um, so anytime someone mentions layers of, like, peeling back layers on something, I just think of Shrek. Not a good one, but came to mind. Uh, something about the way that Schwab describes their, the monsters' voices, like, overlaying almost into nonsense phrases, where it's kind of like these whispers and you can't pinpoint it to one particular area, reminds me of when the basilisk is going through the pipes in Chamber of Secrets, and you just hear those, like, whispered words, and Harry's like, what the fuck is going on? Because he's no idea what's happening. Um... It also, just the way, like, the words that were being written and the way it was being described reminds me of some of Juliet's more chaotic journal entries from the first Shattered Me book. Because she wrote some mm. weird stuff. <laughs> she was, she thought she was going crazy. What can you say? She was going crazy. She was. It's not incorrect. Uh, the hive mind idea, though, again, not similar necessarily to any of these things, but it's just whatever we talk about. Monsters or characters having a hive mind, there are a couple of things that come to mind for me. So the first one, completely different premise. It's this book I read ages ago, Zeros by Chuck Wendig. Um, 
it very like fun a very adult cyber sci-fi thriller that uses the concept of like a hive mind for humans that are plugged into an AI um so like all of these humans and their brains are basically put into this AI unwillingly um this probably spoiler sorry whatever um and so like they're contributing to the hive mind in terms of like brain power but they don't have individual consciousness anymore like once they're uploaded to the AI so they're there to make the AI stronger but they can't actually do anything themselves um so that just I haven't thought about that book in years but it reminded me of it and then probably a little bit more akin from the monster perspective to like what's going on with the um Corsi, that's their name, reminds me from Marvel of the Chitari, which are those weird creepy aliens that invade in the first Avengers movie, where those, they all have a hive mind and they have those like big crazy like monster things, but if you disable one of them, it destroys everything. Um, or the symbiotes from the Spider-Man universe, which is basically what overtakes and creates Venom, if you've ever seen anything related to the Venom villain or anti-hero depending on who you ask uh the idea of having this is a more playful pop culture reference from the absolutely terrifying and creepy way that harker does it but like giving someone a, a five minute head start to run away from a vampire <laughs> Reminds me of those Zodiac Academy books that I've been reading, because one of the main... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Well, yeah, it's the same concept, just different application. <laughs> um, one of the main girl characters, she's, like, super, super powerful, and the vampires in that book series, they drink the blood of other fae um, to recharge their own magic power. So, because she's super powerful, he's claimed her as his, like, only source. So, like, no other vampire is allowed to drink from her, and he pretty much, for the most part, will only drink from her. But she doesn't like being bitten, and so they've come up with this game where, like, he gives her a two to three minute head start, and she has to, like, run and hide from him. Uh, and then he hunts her, and if he catches her within 15 minutes, he gets to bite her. And then a lot of times they have sex afterwards. <laughs> well, God, of course it's a smut series but it's so good oh, okay listen it is smut girl summer for Chantel. i can't help it that's just where i'm at right now mm -hmm. um it's honestly a really good book series i've been giving them like four four and a half stars they're all really good books other than the first one the first one kind of sucks but the rest of them are very entertaining uh the use of um harker's like fancy gargoyle walking stick just lucius malfoy okay with his little dragon or snake stick. walking stick thing mm -hmm. also kaz is actually a probably good one with like the crow yeah, stick except that, uh, yeah i guess so just people with these like heavily ornamented animal walking sticks like why are we doing Kaz at least has well, a reason. Kaz, it makes sense. Yeah, I was going to say it. But, like, why does Harker have one? Just I think court. for the same reason that Lucius Malfoy has one. Just to be egregious. Yeah, Because he doesn't, I mean, I know his wand's in it, but, like, he doesn't need his wand to be in the walking stick. 
unnecessary. Uh, I'm sorry, back to smut. Um, The idea of having the dark stage for performance that, like, everyone is there for a particular thing and it's... I get, I get that Harker is not, like, acting necessarily, but it is a performance, right? Like, he has to be extra bad when he's holding court with all of these monsters than he may be, like, just with Kate. Um, and so it reminded me a little bit of that one of the books I read on vacation, uh, Neon Gods by Katie Robert, which is a Hades and Persephone retelling. But Hades has this, like, stage area in his throne room where he acts a certain way on the stage that isn't necessarily truly reflective of who he is as a person in full, but he likes to put on this, like, certain persona um, and show that to the public so everyone then goes around and whispers, like, this is what Hades did, blah, blah, blah. Um, So just, like, that layout reminded me of that a little bit. Also reminds me of The Court of Nightmares from... A Court of Mist and Fury, which is in the Akatar series. Because um, Rhysand does the same thing in the Court of Nightmares. Where when he holds court in the Court of Nightmares, he's like acting as the Night Lord, blah, 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 and all way more evil than he actually is as a person. Okay. Amarantha's court in that book also is the same way, but she's actually that evil when she holds court under the mountain. She's probably more akin to Harker than, than Rhysand is. Uh, every time someone mentions cult documentaries now, I'm gonna think of Beach Read, which is, like, not a comparison that you would ever expect anyone to draw, um, but if you've read Beach Read, for those who've read it, they know. They talk a lot about, um, how suicide cults are formed in that book and, like, what motivates people to join a suicide cult, like, how the leaders sort of get people to listen to them because one of the characters is researching it for his book. So now every time I hear about cult documentaries and, like, cults in general, I'm going to think of Beatrice. And then, uh, just, again, in general, families that hunt monsters together are supposed to stay together. That's what Supernatural taught me because... Um, in Supernatural, the dads are always, like, teaching their kids how to kill all the monsters, which is, like, the, the rite of passage that we just saw with Harker and Kate, so. Supernatural's a little bit more family-friendly, though, I think. Yeah. Yep, that was all of my pop culture references for chapter 11. <laughs> that is a lot. I'm, I'm so very sorry. glad that you're up to date with pop culture, and I am not. Uh, chapter 12. What do you got? Um, I have two. Um, the first one I feel like is the most obvious. I wouldn't be surprised if you brought it up too. Um, the whole, like, soul-sucking kind of thing. Very Harry Potter Dementor kind of thing. It felt to me like where he's, like, literally sucking this guy's... I mean, the Dementors suck, what, like, memories and stuff, but... I mean, they are kind of sucking the soul out of someone. Um, when they kiss them, yeah. Thankfully, yeah. August isn't kissing these guys. That'd be weird. Exactly. But he's still, like, it's still this imagery of, like, sucking something out of this body. The energy transfer. Um, yeah, especially yeah. with the, the 
Prisoner of Azkaban movies where you like see that energy transfer yeah. happening. Yeah. I and I think that. that's probably what I pictured is like basically that. Yeah. Um, the other one that I had was Howl's Moving Castle. And this is why I was kind of worried about the cat. It reminded me a lot of Heen, the dog, who is, I mean, spoiler, I guess, if anyone hasn't seen Howl's Moving Castle, but the dog is an accomplice of the queen and is sent to spy on Howl. Um, so while the dog is very cute and is basically taken in by everyone, he has an ulterior motive, ultimately ends up being a good dog and doesn't snitch um, until the very end when things are resolved. Right. But like in the back of my mind, I was like, what if this cat is an accomplice somehow for like the monsters? I don't know. It would make any sense. Like there's no logic to it, right? More likely, as you were saying before, it's more of a foreshadowing for what's to come. Like, things are going to be picking up speed. But <laughs> I guess Hellsbury Castle may be, like, paranoid. <laughs> um, yeah, so those are my two pop culture <laughs> references. Oh, my God. Um, okay, these... So I have two that are kind of tied to the idea of, like, the empty body dropping to the ground and, like, you clearly being able to tell what happened there, even if there's not a lot of, like, evidence of, like, how the person died necessarily, but just, like, looking at the body, you'd probably be able to tell. So, again, to Supernatural, it reminds me of when they kill angels, because, like, when they stab an angel, the angel's wings will, like, imprint on um, whatever surface they were stabbed against. So it's really easy to tell that an angel was killed there, and so I think, similar here, we have that, like, husk of a body with, like, the eyes burnt out. You can clearly tell it was a Sunai death. Uh, it also, I don't know why, I think it's just from, like, how my brain was picturing it, kind of how you were talking about where you try to find those, like, references to help you get that imagery down. Um, the idea of, like, how, what this dead body looked like kind of reminded me of the burned ones, so I think they were called in Fate, the Wink Saga. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, but, like, that's the way those creepy things looked was, like, how I was picturing this dead body. Um, and then the idea of rescuing someone's cat from an abandoned apartment, even though, obviously, August is the reason it is now abandoned, reminds me of a Meg Cabot romance. Oh my god. (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with me with all my, like, romance references for very dark topics. Um, but no, there's, she came out this book, uh, like, two, three years ago, I think, um, called No Judgments, uh, which this woman moves from, like, New York to one of the Florida Keys, and a hurricane hits while she's in the Keys, and she's a big animal lover, and she worries that all these people, like, got off the island to be safe from the hurricane, but then the bridge collapsed, so no one could get back onto the island, so she, like, takes it upon herself to go check in and, like, break into everyone's houses and apartments on the island to feed and, like, take care of their pets, and it's so cute, (laughs) and I love that, I love that book, it's, it's a very cute, fun read, um, but yeah, just, like, the idea of, like, him not being able to leave the pet behind and, like, feeling the need to take care of it, even though it's not really his fault, but, like, he just has the sense of ownership and, like, 
atonement almost just reminded me of of that book and like her going around taking care of all the stray pets um also what kind of cat is super friendly with monsters is that normal well i feel like i feel like cats like animals in general are not they don't really the kind of like what also was saying is like they don't really discern between like one creature to another creature as long as that creature is showing them love and care then they're fine with it and like i mean i don't think they have an immediate response to something like leo but they i do think like it's kind of like i mean i'm gonna get horse girl here but it's the same thing with horses like horses you can see with their ears right Mm -hmm. like if they like someone or if they don't like someone right doesn't matter what the person looks like or how they are in appearance like which was redundant of me to say but um it's the same idea like if the person seems like a caring person they will approach yeah well i just thought it was interesting um because august was like normally cats and other animals shy away from him because Mm -hmm. they are monsters like intrinsically they have this like vibe that nope I'm that's not a place I need to be but this cat Allegro is just like all up into August business he is like here for it he's a friendly cat he's a friendly cat but it was reminding me of the idea of like a witch's familiar right that like something about this cat is like vibing with the monsters for whatever reason so you have the concept in pop culture and honestly not pop culture has like been around for millennia it feels like but like having a witch is familiar a cat that like is so attuned to what the witches need and like being very involved reminded me a lot of like salem from um (laughs) sabrina from sabrina um and then just like yeah i guess other cats that are drawn to witches tend to be black cats but not exclusively uh, and then I was also just thinking about the, in Captain Marvel, the the Flurkin cat, Goose. Oh my God. Where yes. Goose is, like, clearly, like, all up in Captain Marvel's business, and she's like, why are you here? I guess I'll take care of you, but, like, uh, no. And then the Flurkin's still like, yup, I'm gonna support this one. I like this one. She's my well, friend. Isn't it also, though, in, this is why I heard, in, like, the comics she actually takes to the cat really quickly but it's just that brie had a cat allergy so she had to be like that <laughs> she, like she couldn't have the cat near her because she would like break out oh i didn't read that her. i i love that idea that's hilarious that i mean funny. sam jackson took to the cat no problem yeah. nick fury was all over that sam cat. jackson is the ilsa here yeah <laughs> oh my god nick fury is the <laughs> I love that. That was so funny. That's so good. Um, that, that's all I have for chapter 12. Did you have any for, for chapter 13? I have nothing 13? for chapter 13, no. I mean, I guess kind of, um, but, like, this is such a, like, I don't know. I guess it's sad, so I don't really want to bring it up, but it reminded me of, like, she's, I think, does this happen? I'm pretty sure it happens in the Queen's Gambit, where her mother... I don't know if her mother was, like, depressed or if it was an accident. I think it's addressed in it, but it's been a few months since I saw that. 
Um, and she gets, her mother is driving, and I think she's in the back seat, and she gets into a really bad car wreck, and the mother dies. Mm. She does not, and so she gets sent to an orphanage. I mean, at least here, Kate has her father to go to, but she is essentially sent off. As you said, she's like an orphan. Um, remind me a bit of that. But, like, it's a very, like, I don't want to say it's a cliche thing, because that sounds very insensitive, but it is a very common thing in YA books to have a mother who dies. Like, there's a reason, there's a book that is titled Just Another Book Where the Mother Dies or whatever it's called. Yeah. Because um, it is very common to kill off the mother in a YP book, which is really, really depressing. I agree. My pop culture reference is actually very similar to that. I'm kind of talking about how I'm, I'm kind of over the trope, Um, to your point, of having this, like, picture-perfect mom that is, like, so gorgeous, so beautiful, seemingly does all of the things mm-hmm. right, but then they malfunction in some way. Something yeah. goes wrong with them. They go off on the deep end, you know, whatever it may be. Um, the two examples that came first to mind, obviously not, like, going into depression and killing themselves kind of a way, but, um, like, Ronan's mom in the mm-hmm. Raven cycle, where she's this, like, picture-perfect thing. Yeah, she's literally a dream. Um, like, she's not... Yeah. There's nothing of substance to her. And then she just goes into a coma when his dad dies. Like, okay, great. That's a waste of space, but whatever. Um, and then the robot mom in the Umbrella Academy, if you watch that, where, again, this, like, picture-perfect mom does everything but then when their dad dies she kind of just like goes into disarray because the person that was controlling her like can't help her function and so this idea of having a mom that's like subservient or not able to make her own decisions and then just breaks down um from this like really powerful father i'm over it i don't want it i'm done with the trope i am too it's very very tiring and it it's like constant it comes up in so many books it does it's sad like give moms and women more power moms are goddamn superheroes why are we not there's no need to kill off here's my thing is like there's no need to kill off one or both of the parents in order to make a complex character Mm -mm. i feel like it's this idea it's this like easy way out like victoria shop has made a really good book but she did take the easy way out and said i'm gonna kill off one of the characters because it's going to lead this character to this traumatic experience which is gonna affect the rest of her life and how she acts Mm -hmm. like there's other ways of doing that which are not killing off a parent well, and then even not with to say August, killing up a parent is like like a dead parent is like a traumatic. I mean, it is a traumatic experience, but not to say like it doesn't happen. But it just happens. It's not so the often. well, and it's not the only traumatic experience that kids go through. I think it's the yeah, most exactly. obvious one because it's the one we already see in literature so much. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy for authors to be like, mm, "Yep, killing a parent that'll fuck with yeah. them," and like we can play with that a little bit. But there are so many other traumatic things that can happen to a kid, even if both of their parents are alive. Like, mm-hmm. you, you can have crappy parents. Your parents can make bad decisions, yeah. and that can hurt you. You can have a bad situation or interaction that has nothing to do with your parents that traumatizes you. Um, not all characters need to be traumatized to be complex. Sometimes people can just be deep because they're smart. 
Mm-hmm. These are all okay options. We don't need and to like you can have like depression or anxiety without having anything happen to you. Like it, it's a mental thing too. So yeah, you can have any kind of mental disorder. Um, yeah, I just I'm I'm over the trope. Yeah, me too. That was all I had though. Just those those two, and they're that general thing. Um, should we do MVPs? MVPs. I want you to go first. Okay. I'm gonna give mine to Ilsa because of the cat thing. Ooh. I was thinking about giving it to the cat, but I was like, no, I'm gonna give it to an actual person. I know. <laughs> um, there was just something about her interaction with Allegro, and I felt like it was very wholesome like situated in two three chapters that are very Mm. not wholesome um she doesn't question august about where he got the cat doesn't question why he brought the cat home just takes the cat and is like okay this is my new best friend and i'm going to help the cat and i will help you take care of the cat also (laughs) like i just felt like it was so nice Mm-hmm. And, like, I think it was just the placement of that scene, too, which really, really helped um, kind of lighten the mood and remind everyone, like, these are teenagers. These are young adults. You know, mm-hmm. they love cats. They're killing, but they love cats. <laughs> um, we don't so yet know if Kate fun. loves cats. Oh, that is very true. Well, she, I feel like she would like cats. Cats are therapy pets. As much as dogs are. Cats will leave her alone. And so I think exactly. she'll like cats. Exactly. I think like, dogs would be themselves. too much effort and she'd get annoyed with them. Yes. She's the cat person. I could, well, okay. But I would say, like, if I had to pick a pet for Kate, I would I, I would give her, like, a nice, like, bearded dragon or a chameleon or something. Oh, like, something reptilian, okay. I think, she'd vibe with. Maybe a snake. I feel like she would vibe with, like, a parrot or someone who will talk to her. I don't know. I think that would annoy her because she wants this, like, quiet a lot of times as her escape. probably right. Maybe a tarantula. Oh, my God. Okay. No. I don't really (laughs) want a tarantula. I feel like that's too... Too dark, almost. Okay. We can give her a a lizard or a snake. Lizard or snake. Too edgy. There we go. Okay. A lizard or snake. Um, okay, so I was debating giving mine to to Kate because, you know, like, damn, girl made it through a lot in these chapters, and I'm very, not proud of her, but just, like, impressed by how much she, like, made it through in these chapters, and, like, how she was able to wait to collapse until she got up to her room. However, similar to you... Um, I have to give it to August because he rescued the cat. And because the fact that the cat didn't like Leo made him like the cat more. And I just thought that was so funny. Um, and I really appreciate that, like, he has this good sense of humor about his brother and, like, recognizes that even though his brother can be really overbearing, he's not right about everything. Even though he thinks he's right about everything. And so I just, I I really appreciate August's open perspective on that stuff. And his sort of, like, independence and, like, non-willingness to just, like, fall into the trap of, like, becoming exactly like his brother. 
So, yep. Uh, what's your wine review, Julia? My wine review is actually a wine that you're drinking, although not your price point. It's a top level Bordeaux, very complex. You don't know not what I paid for this. Okay, well, how much did you pay for it? Probably like $15. Yeah, so I'm talking, you know, thousands of dollars here. The kinds of wines that people, like, sell their soul to get. Like, pretty that's complex. That's Oh, yeah. Pretty complex. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Pretty complex. Pretty dark. Lots going on. Hard to get. There's just... It's not super dark, right? But it's like pretty dark and it's it's lasting. It like leaves something on the tongue and you think about it for a long time and you have mm-hmm. a lot to say about it, kind of like us. Like we've been talking about these three chapters for a while. Yeah. For a reason. It's the same idea. And I would say that but it's still well written, so it's still kind of like that refined kind of that's what makes it so expensive, is like it's very put together mm-hmm. despite how crazy it is. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I would give it a 9 out of 10. Top-level Bordeaux. That's the type of Bordeaux that's on, like, this the wine stock market. Amazing. I love it. What about your whining score? Um, so, obviously, not a surprise. There's a lot of angst, again, in these chapters because these characters just keep having existential crisis after existential crisis. Like, I do not know any teenagers that freak out about things as much as these two freak out about things. Um, however, I do think, considering the fact that they both murdered someone, uh, a lot of that angst is pretty justified and is not unnecessary so i'm i'm gonna give it like a slightly lower mid-level score i'm gonna go i'm gonna go four out of ten because like i think a lot of the context that we get again is not unnecessary it's really good to understand the characters their world perspectives and just how they feel about the decisions that either they're being forced to make or feel like they need to make um because i don't even though kate killed voluntarily I wouldn't necessarily say that she's doing it voluntarily if that makes sense like it's something she feels like she has to do to prove a point so I think a lot of the anxiety and angst that they feel surrounding those decisions and choices um are are pretty valid um so yeah four out of ten wow you're kind on them this week (laughs) What did I give them, like, last week? Like, 9 out of 10, I was like, August is such a whiner. Oh, my God. (laughs) To be fair, he was pretty whiny. So, at least this time, it was paired with murder. So, it tempered it down a little bit. (laughs) Okay. Oh, God. Um, Okay, I mean, I think... Only in YA. (laughs) No, that happens in adult, too. Let's be real. True. Some weird thrillers out there. Who knows what's going on. <laughs> um, okay, so I think that's pretty much it. Uh, per normal course, if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Unnecessary Angst Pod, on Twitter at Unangst Pod, and you can also send us emails at unnecessaryangstpod at gmail.com. 
Um, we would love to hear from anyone that's listening. Like, literally anyone. <laughs> just message us. We want to know you're there. They make us feel great. Um, but with that, I mean, that's pretty much it. We'll, we'll get on up out of here and let you guys go. Hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Bye, everybody. Bye.